Good afternoon. I'm your host, Sean Rancunas, and welcome to Music Speaks, the podcast that is dedicated to how music impacts one person's life. I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. A musical quote for today. Don't waste your time trying to be like anyone but yourself, because the things that make you strange are the things that make you powerful. Ben Platt. And I think that's a great segue into introducing my guest. My guest today is someone who I've known since undergrad at Ithaca College. He is incredibly smart, hilarious, creative, and caring. He is always interested in helping others and challenging himself at the same time. We have collaborated on many performances including, and not limited to, Clapping Music by Steve Reich, singing Adubigatti on my graduate recital. His name is Mike Salamone. Mike graduated Ithaca College with a degree in music education in 2018. Since then, he has gotten a job as a middle school teacher. He also teaches at a high school marching band, and in his free time, he teaches at another high school marching band and their winter guard program. And he just got accepted into Ithaca College Summer Masters program. Hey Mike, how you doing? Hey there, Sean. Happy to be here. How's it going? Good. Um, so I wanted to tell you uh, something that I, I, I just talked to you about the, the cat duet. And I wanted to ask you if you ever thought why I decided to, to put that on my recital. The cat do it, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, I figure, I mean, you're you're obviously coming from a vocal theater background, so I figured you had that sort of experience in your bag, and you knew that I was into that sort of thing, too. But I don't know specifically why you chose the cat do it. I, I chose the cat do it because it only has one lyric. And learning lyrics is always my, my, uh, it's so hard for me just to memorize anything, but like lyrics in general are always my Achilles heel. So I wanted to let you know that. have in common there, Sean. I, <laughs> I struggled, even doing uh, shows in high school, I remember uh, sitting with my director like the day of the show in her office, like doing lines back and forth just because I was so terrible at remembering my lines. So I don't blame you. Yeah. So my first question is for you. I like to ask everyone about this, what they're doing during the pandemic right now. Uh, what are you doing to stay sane? You know, I'll tell you what, Sean. Uh, yeah. I started off doing a whole lot of nothing at all, hmm. um, which uh, got old very fast. <laughs> uh, so I started to get back into things that I enjoy doing. You know, I right before the pandemic, I was playing a musical at, at my school, Shalmont, where I where I teach. And uh, unfortunately, they got cut in half. We only got two of the performances out before um, they had to pull out uh, the performances just, you know, to keep safe social distancing and all that. So um, I had my trumpet chops going pretty good for that show. Hmm. And then I kind of stopped playing for like two or three weeks just because I just didn't feel like I had a reason to. Um, so I, I picked the trumpet back up again and I, I got my chops going and uh that's been feeling great. I've been working out a few projects on the trumpet, including um, Matt Brockman's upcoming project that I'm sure a lot of people are going to hear about soon. Um, and uh, some recording, I'm doing some reference recording for another area teacher. He's doing an assignment where uh, he's having students listen to recordings and, and follow along with music parts and kind of assess what they hear, um, which is a cool little thing. So I'm working on just getting my chops up to where they were a little bit closer to undergrad so I don't sound bad, you know. Uh, but other than that, I'm teaching online. So, um, How's that going? Which has proven, 
proven to be a, a difficult challenge, um, especially for a middle school band teacher. So um, we've been doing a lot of, uh, I've assigned lots of stuff out of our method book that we use. Um, and I, I do a lot of uh, assessing um, by responding to the students and what they submit each week. Um, understanding that an effort de generally deserves a strong grade, especially in the situation we're in. Um, perfection certainly isn't something I'm getting a ton of, but you know, an effort is something I'm granting reward for. Uh, also, I mean, I'm sending out little videos of me explaining things uh, because I'm obviously not there in front of them to teach. So it's amazing how many times I probably would pause and rewind and delete my teaching like in real life if I could, because uh, it's really humbling, as you know, in anything, especially trumpet playing, to listen to yourself on a recording. <laughs> it's like, oh man, you like, so I've been uh, perfecting my video taking skills mostly, but uh, yeah. yeah. That's that's been the quarantine for me. How about you? I've been sort of uh, sort of finding a way to uh, keep busy. I think the podcast helps me do that. I try to do one a day with everyone I know, um, and just like you said, the uh, creating videos or like creating audio of yourself talking, I cannot go through an introduction without saying the word introducing wrong. I always say introduce. I, I can't even like, sometimes I swallow the words in my mouth when I'm trying to read the like my opening line, but but doing the podcast is always great. I have my elective recital coming up at home, right here. Uh, I'm also working on uh, some other listening projects and audio projects for Jazz Ensemble. We're sort of catching up with some Vincent DiMartino stuff. And, uh, just sort of like making sure I spend time with the family. I uh, call my girlfriend once a day, you know, try to make sure that she's doing okay and all that. So let me, let me ask you this. Um, when or what was one of your earliest musical experiences? Oh, man. Uh, so this one's going to relate a lot back to your sister's podcast, which I listened to, um, but I'm a big marching band kid. Uh, okay. From the start... Um, I went to a school called Mahoniston High School, which is known in, in the Albany area as a marching band school. There aren't a whole lot of them. Uh, and my brother was uh, nine years older than me, um, and he got into the, to the marching band at Mahoniston, and he played tuba. And uh, I, I was just, you know, trailing along at all of his events, you know, as a, as a younger sibling would do. Um, and I got to watch all the rehearsals and go to all the competitions and uh, I suppose that's like kind of the moment that I was like I definitely want to be in that marching band uh, you know I definitely want to be uh, a part of this thing they look cool so I uh, I want to say it was that I remember them, they played Pirates of the Caribbean one year when I was really young like and mm -hmm. that stuck out to me I just thought it was so cool that uh, this giant group of people was playing music together and that they were all, they all seemed like such tight friends, you know, so uh, I would say that probably, or maybe I also went to church a lot as a young kid, and um, okay. there were always awesome pianists at my church that were just laying down some really cool arrangements of, of classic uh, church hymns, so um, I was always surrounded by some pretty good music growing up, I think. What inspired you to start playing trumpet? Well, that's a good question. Uh I mean, when I was in uh, third grade, I actually played violin. 
Hmm. Uh, okay. Because uh, at, at my school, we were allowed to start strings in third grade and band instruments in fourth grade because they wanted you to be a little bit bigger so you could handle some of those big instruments, especially like stuff like the trombone and whatnot. So I started on violin, but it was only a placeholder. Like I wanted to be in the band, you know, and the orchestra was something that was close to band that I could do for a year before. Um, and I played violin. I was pretty good at it. Uh, I did I did pretty well. Um, but when it was time to switch to a band instrument, I, I thought, you know, I either want to play the trumpet or the saxophone because those are both cool. And I wanted to be cool, of course. <laughs> so uh, the band director at Mahanasen at the time, the high school band director, his name was uh, Keith Bushy, and uh, he let me borrow a trumpet. He was a trumpet player himself. Um, so he kind of let me borrow a trumpet. He showed me how to buzz and then sent me on my way and said, you know, you, you, uh, you know, mess around with it, figure it out a little bit, and then uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. So I did, and I, I, I hated buzzing. I thought it was, like, the most annoying thing on earth. Mm. I felt like I got no melodic value out of it whatsoever. I just sounded like a duck. Um, so I threw the mouthpiece in the trumpet, and I played the Star Spangled Banner on the first day I ever put my mouthpiece in my trumpet. Hmm. It was just a tune that was in my head, and I found it was like effortless for me to like hop through partials on the trumpet for some reason. It was just, it was just like day one easy. Um, I was using all sorts of weird fingering combinations, I'm sure, that were like wrong, but I, I was lipping out at least um, the Star Spangled Banner, and that was kind of the moment that I was like, hey, I might be able to be good at this. And I ended up taking private lessons from that high school uh, band director there for the summer and got me jump started and and it was it was on from there for sure. So, who uh, encouraged you to become a music educator? Oh man, um, I want to say I made that decision in like middle school. Okay, because I played I played. Uh, in fourth and fifth grade, which was my elementary school playing, and then uh, sixth grade happened. Um, there was an awesome band director there named Jason Varga, who I connected with really well. Um, also a graduate of Ithaca College, um, a horn player. Hmm. Uh, in seventh grade, I also had a great time. Eighth grade was when you could move up a year early to marching band. It's like hmm. a, it was always like a select group thing. So that was pretty big for me. And around that time, I think I was like, you know, I want to make a career out of this. I don't know if I if I said a career in music education yet or if it was just music at that point. Like, I just want to, like, be right. involved in music. Okay. Um, but uh, maybe high school was when I decided music educator. Um, in high school, my band director was not the same one I was referring to earlier. He retired. Um, mm. And then in came uh, Dan, Daniel Philpott-Jones. Um who is still there now at Mahanasen, and he is also a graduate of Ithaca um, uh, saxophone out of Dr. Mock Studio, who mm. just retired recently. Um, and I had a private teacher all this time. Uh, starting in middle school, I started with him uh, all through high school. His name was Joel Miller, also an Ithaca graduate, mm. um, trumpet player out of Frank Campos' studio. Right. So... Uh, the decision for Ithaca was pretty clear. Hmm. Um, the major, I think I decided freshman, sophomore year maybe that uh, I really liked teaching. Um, I, I really liked uh, 
I really liked kind of assessing the teachers that I had and like their strengths and I felt like I understood understood that really well um but like as far as music schools you know I went and I toured Potsdam and Fredonia and Ithaca kind of like the New York trio that many people do and right um Potsdam was pretty good I liked it Fredonia wasn't that much for me and and uh Ithaca was definitely you know that was that was it I was definitely happy with that choice hmm. Did you have any teachers before you started college that inspired you to start doing any music education stuff? Um, like conducting you know, well, in front of a concert band or sort yeah, of like yeah, teaching yeah, yeah. younger kids? Uh, Jason Vargo, the middle school teacher I talked about earlier, um, I actually did a program in my senior year uh, where I got to do basically a student teaching type of experience where I went to every other day for half the day I went to his room and uh, at the middle school and I would um, eat. during that time we had general music um, what else did we have we had a general music we had a study hall playing period and I think uh, might have been sixth grade band um, so for a while it was doing it was similar stuff to student teachers like that they do when they first show up I was taking notes and listening and watching and Sometimes he would say, hey, uh, check out what I'm going to do today. You know, make sure you understand why I did this this way or whatever. Um, and then eventually it was, hey, man, hop on the podium. Like, you're doing the warm-ups today for the band. Hmm. And uh, he had a, an approach where it was kind of just like throwing you off in the deep end of the pool, um, which I actually appreciated a lot. I was able to, you know, learn how to fend, up, fend for myself. And um, hmm. it's not like he didn't give me any resources. I mean, right in front of me on this stand was everything he had always been doing and but it was that was cool that was my first like experience in front of an ensemble and it was nothing like I expected it to be now that it was bad it was just like so different and I've you've conducted things in the past mm. I mean it's a whole different ball game once you're mm. once you're trying to communicate what you are thinking to other people and get them to bring it back it's it's definitely a tough tough challenge especially with a group of sixth graders but it was a very rewarding experience for me young in my career. Hmm. And then when you started Ithaca College, I thought you had the most diverse choices of ensembles. Besides me, of course. But um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I thought you did a nice job of going and doing different things and trying different opportunities there. Was there anything that you sort of took from that and brought to your own teaching? Sure. I mean, I I started off with the traditional approach of, you know, I was in some band or whatever at first, and I wanted to stay really focused on what I was there for, which was trumpet. Right. Um, and and I think uh, my sophomore year, I did uh, I did chorus, which was a requirement. Right. Um, and Dr. Fox was the director, and you were in that group, right? Yeah. I think I just did uh, it for fun, but um, but oh, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Man, it was fun. You know, he was he was one of the best conductors I've ever been in front of. He was he was incredible, and he, he kind of reignited that fire that I had for um, vocal music. I was so involved in, in vocal music when I was in high school, and um, I'll give a shout out to my high school choral teacher um, Nicole Gabriel, um, who's a St. Rose graduate. She was um, fantastic, and um, you know, sort of. Uh, tapped into a different part of music that I didn't think I would ever enjoy and and I really really did enjoy it um I always told myself maybe if I had started singing a little bit earlier that I might have been a choral music teacher instead hmm. um but uh 
moving through, I mean, I, I did I did some jazz stuff here or there. I did more classical concert stuff, but definitely my favorite group I was ever in was the Vocal Jazz Ensemble, hmm. uh, directed by John White. Um, what a fun group. It was just my senior year. It was actually my the end of my junior year I um, subbed for someone in uh, the Commencement Eve concert where I just I sang one tune. Um, my Romance was the tune, hmm. and it was it was awesome. It was fantastic. The harmonies that you had in a vocal jazz choir were were nothing that I've heard before, and uh, the the parts were so difficult to sing. You needed to really know your music. You couldn't fake it at all. Hmm. So uh, I appreciated that challenge. Um, I know sometimes vocalists get a bad rap for um, you know people like say like that their music is easy or, or whatever and. Um, I think some vocal music is easy, but I think some instrumental music is easy too. Um, and there are certain styles of vocal music that are just hmm. hard, and that's one of them. It was it was definitely the the people in that group were so fun to collaborate with, you know, um, from Hannah Martin to Jeanette Lewis, and hmm. it was just so awesome to get that opportunity to perform with people that I normally wouldn't, you know, that are outside of my discipline area. I think as far as my teaching is concerned. Um, I'm very willing to sing in my instrumental band classroom, which I think is essential. Um, I make the kids sing, especially my beginners, uh, which I also think is essential. Um, and is only weird for them if you don't do it consistently. If you make it part of your routine, it's cool. They know it. That's how we do band, and um, that's what I've been trying to instill a bit in my in my classroom. Uh, I think the whole singing pieces allowed me to. Um, be more uh, I don't know presentable to my class and also uh, that I've done some of that those jazz styles I feel like I'm less afraid to approach certain types of pieces you know I'm, I'm more open to a more diverse program and uh, I see them as fun challenges rather than areas that I might be um, lacking in so right. I, yeah. I think I think those ensembles definitely help me a whole ton in how I teach Another one of my favorite memories with you in Ithaca was with the direction of Dr. Fox was when we did Godette with me, you, Mike Stern, and uh, Max Kiesling. Uh, When we did Godette, uh, uh, let me ask you this. Did you have any any earlier memories of singing? I mean, I know you said that you did singing in high school. Yeah, um, I was, I I always grew up not not about it. I didn't like it. I thought it was kind of dumb for whatever reason. I was just one of those guys that said that. Um, in my, let's see, ninth grade year, my freshman year of high school, I went and saw Damn Yankees. The school was putting on a production of Damn Yankees. Hmm. And I remember the choral director, Nicole Gabriel, who I brought up earlier, was, was trying to get me involved. She was saying, you know, you got to come do Damn Yankees. You have a high voice. You'll love the parts. There's it's like baseball it's jumping around it's athletic and i was like no way i I won't do it um Mm. and then uh i saw the show and i was like man i wish i was involved in this i wish i did this so that was kind of my turnaround point my sophomore year uh we did susical at my high school and um i got one of the wickersham brother roles Hmm. um which was just so much fun and uh i could sing really high especially back then i mean i still have I guess what you call the tenor one voice, but back then it was like all the way up to C's, just like solid, full voice, no problem. Mm. Um, 
and my voice went down a little bit since then, but like there were parts in that show where you had to sing high Bs and high B flats and no one else could do it. And it was mm. cool for me because uh, I was getting like recognition, like, you know, like, wow, this guy can really sing these parts and, and we need him. And I felt, you know, like I was a part of something there. Mm. Um, and then I joined uh, the choruses after that and, and did all the shows. And, and uh, it was a very rewarding experience. For me, uh, vocal music, uh, the text of it sort of makes it more emotional mm. than uh, instrumental music. And yeah. I know people will, would argue that, um, but it's just my personal stance. You know, I think that the text in vocal music is just so um, capturing for for the performer and, and for the audience. And it, I feel like it could get to you on a deeper level. So that's where I connect with vocal music a lot. and. I love playing, even with my band, um, things that were, were vocal music, you know, that are arranged for band, because then you can listen to the words and understand the phrasing and, and understand the meaning of, of what's happening. So I think it, I think it makes things a bit more, um, I don't know, powerful in a yeah. performance. So back to your teaching, uh, was it something you enjoyed immediately or was it something that you enjoyed over time? Um, well, I mean, I've been I've been teaching for a while, you know. I, I, from my own high school, as soon as I graduated, I became a tech for their marching band, um, and that's something I always enjoyed. Any marching band uh, stuff is like great for me, or or indoor guard or indoor percussion. I've taught them all, and and that stuff's always come really natural to me and really easy. So anytime I've done that, great. Um, classroom teaching, like there's always an adjustment period, whether it be you know student teaching or uh, even getting observations, like once you're like assimilating into a space, it's it's awkward at first. Mm. You know, I started my job, uh, gosh, what was it? The beginning of last school year, um, and it was hard for a really long time. I found myself in a position for the first time in my life where I felt like, man, I don't really know what I'm doing, mm. but I did. You know, it was it was just a sense of everything wasn't perfectly lined up for me the way I thought it would be. Um, and it never is, you know, people think that student teaching prepares you perfectly to be a teacher and it, it gives you a lot of real world experience, but it doesn't do the whole thing because eventually you get there, you're in the classroom, you know, and you say you teach a lesson and you're trying to get the concept of staccato across to your band for the first time and you're going at it and the, the class ends, you know, the bell rings and you're like, man, I don't think the band understands what staccato means. You know, I spent all this time trying to do it, but it didn't work. And then you find yourself in a position where you turn over your shoulder and there's no one there to say, hey, this is what you should have done different, or this is what you should try mm -hmm. next time. It's just you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, becoming very self-reflective and, and understanding your strengths and weaknesses becomes a huge thing um, in, in teaching on your own for the first time. You know, and I leaned on the people in my department a whole lot who had been around for a while, who had who had done this kind of thing before, and I would just I would just ask them questions. You know, I would say, hey, you know, like I'm in this situation. Have you been there before? What could I do? And they were always very supportive. And I would say, by the time you get through, I don't know, uh, February of your first year, okay, you get to a spot where you're not really on pins and needles anymore. You're like feeling like you're okay. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't mean that you're not going to get hit with curveballs because I still do all the time. Um, I, everyone always says after three years of teaching, you got it. Like you're you're okay. Like, mm -hmm. but 
I've also heard that, you know, you never got it. Mm. The more you know, the less you know, stuff like that. So okay. uh, at first it was definitely a little shaky for me in my job, but now I'm, I'm really enjoying it and I certainly miss it now that we're out of school. Mm. So before we go into the next segment, uh, do you want to sort of explain your own musical tastes? Yeah, sure. I mean, I uh, I tend to listen to a lot of musical theater, um, a lot of a lot of stuff like that, or a lot of artists who are theater artists who write um, more acoustic music that is similar to the style of musical theater. Um, that's like kind of like my walk around listening music. Um, I also enjoy some band classics, um, like one I highlighted and we're going to talk about soon. Um, stuff that you know brings back memories for me specifically um, to my time uh, either playing the music or, or uh, hearing it in, in class. Um, those kinds of things are uh, really strong to me. Also, I enjoy some jazz music. I mean, I, I uh, was in some of those jazz groups and, and there are some particular vocal jazz arrangements that I love and um, I kind of uh, enjoy the artist Chet Baker a whole lot. You know, I feel like I can relate to him a bit with the whole uh, trumpet playing thing, but also the interest of, of singing. Uh, so uh, I listen to a, a mix of things, um, okay. but those are probably some of the strongest that stand out. Okay. So we're going to take a little break, uh, stick around, and we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, Mike, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, the first piece we're going to look at is Elsa's Procession to the Cathedral uh, from Lohengrin by Richard Wagner and arranged uh, for concert band. Um, let me ask you this. What was the first time you played in a concert band? The first time I played in a real concert band? Or... Sure. Or, or, or like the first time you played in a band? Uh, I think... Uh... I was in the fourth and fifth grade band at uh, in my elementary school. Okay. Um, I really don't feel like that one counts. <laughs> I think that uh, the first real ensemble I played with maybe was uh, a town band I played with in, in high school. Like I'm not even going to count my own high school band. Um, I played with a town band in the summer, and you know that that's where we had some some good high school players and also some professionals in the area come out to play along with us. Um, no, you know what I. I was in the I was in the Allstate um, Symphonic Band in my 11th grade year and the Allstate Wind Ensemble in my senior year and those were definitely real deal groups. Okay. Maybe the first time that I was I was like playing within an ensemble and I was like, wow, like I can't believe these sounds are happening around me. Yeah. Um, and of course, all the Ithaca ensembles were fantastic that I was a part of. So I actually got to get those experiences every single day, which was awesome. Hmm. So when was the first time you played this piece? I played this piece for the first time, I think, gosh, I don't want to say this wrong, I think it was with, uh, in my junior year, I was in concert band, and we played with the Wind Ensemble when they played this piece, Hmm. and it was in Ford Hall, um, and we basically, the concert band surrounded the audience, and the wind ensemble was on stage and we did a whole production with lights and uh it was super cool um and they actually just did that 
on their concert this year. They programmed that same thing again because I, I watched that one on their live stream. Um, but that was that was uh, under the direction of Chris Hughes with the Wind Ensemble, and I know he loves that piece. I've also played it a ton at uh, the Conducting Symposium mm. at Ithaca College in the summer when they have uh, usually the grad students uh, take part in it, the summer grad students. And, right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I played I played that song until my face went numb, you know, because that's, <laughs> that, was the, that was what we had to do. Right, yeah. Do you want to introduce the song at all? Sure, I mean... Okay. Uh, I mean, this this piece. Who'd you say is playing this recording? Uh, in this recording, we have the uh, Northwestern University Symphony. Oh, Northwestern. Yeah, Northwestern. Okay. Um, well, uh, this this piece uh, strikes strikes me uh, in a in one particular way, and it was that um, I was one of the first trumpets in concert band, and, and Michael Stern was uh, the principal trumpet player of the wind ensemble at the time. And uh, as many folks know, uh, he's my best friend. And uh, we've been through a lot, and I know in that uh, in that particular concert, he was you know seated where the trumpet player would be on stage at a wind ensemble concert, and I was in the center back, and we had this uh, this moment where I was always joking around where when we get to the high C in the in, on the apex of that piece, yeah. that I would point to him, and in the concert I actually did it, and if you were to look back on the live stream recording, you could see me point up uh as we're, we're <laughs> slamming those high seas together so um hmm. that's that's a you know that's kind of a memory i have with this piece so uh okay. it definitely holds a special place for me and uh yeah i mean i'm sure everyone would enjoy it if they gave it a listen in the opera i should mention to our listeners that elsa um takes a long walk to where the the service is happening and I believe Lohengrin has the ba yum ba 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 yum ba ba theme, I think. But the the trip that she takes to get there is sort of um, where uh, it it's sort of like climaxes and it gets louder and louder. And the part that we're going to show you today is the part where it gets really loud and she's at the cathedral and she's about to get married. So here's a little bit of that. I think the craziest part about that piece is right at that moment, you can't really hear anything except for the high, high flutes at that point. Yeah, there's definitely that piccolo comes ringing through. 
Yeah, but the the brass is just right there, I think, which is sort of uh, incredible. So let me ask I you this. Want, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I also want to shout out um, another, like, very clear um, and memory that sticks out to me from playing that piece was Sean Bissett playing bass trombone. Mm. And that kid could, like, split your skull in half with his sound. It was just <laughs> incredible. I remember standing in the back of that room during rehearsal and being like, oh, my gosh, this kid is the real deal. And I think he's he's having a very successful career so far. I mean, the, the kid's great. So shout yeah. out to Sean Bissett on, on his great bass bone playing. Yeah, and I think he's currently playing in an orchestra and also working on his masters right now, I think. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so when you first played this piece for the first time, what was your initial reaction to it? Um, you know, I it, was, it had such a slow build, you know. It's it's very. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot of. I don't want to say plateaus, be, because there can be plateaus if it's played wrong. I mm. think, but if if you're using really good musicianship and um, it 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 can sound fantastic even in those moments of s- sustain. Um, I, I think that uh, for me at first it was a piece that I didn't genuinely enjoy. Mm. Um, I was like, man, this is this is kind of boring for a while. Um, and often, I, I don't think in rehearsals, um, musicians tend to give everything they got in a rehearsal. You know, I feel like the performances that happen in actual performances are more serious. And I think it, it was maybe a dress rehearsal before or something that I actually listened to the whole piece. And uh, in, in talking with Michael Stern and some other friends about it, you know, and hearing what they had to say about it, uh, kind of opened my eyes and my ears a little bit to listen the next time I heard it. And mm. I guess I was sort of influenced by some people around me to give it a second listen and, and give it the time of day because it's, it's a great work of music. And I did, and, and, I, and I heard I heard what they were talking about. You know, sometimes uh, it's important not to let your first uh, impression of a piece be your impression of a piece because if that's how you're following music, you know, a lot of the music I listen to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't enjoy if I if it was just going by what I heard the first time. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's about it for me. The next song on the playlist is "For Forever" by Dear Evan Hansen, uh, and sung by Ben Platt. Uh, this show is incredible. I got to see it uh, right before Christmas this year. Um, have you ever seen the show? You have. Yeah, I actually saw it from the fourth row um, in wow. New York uh, last summer. Okay, what was that like? So I saw it right. Uh, ben Platt had left, unfortunately. I would have loved to see it with Ben Platt. Um, but almost the entire uh, original cast was still there except for him. So it was remarkable to me that I w- it felt like I was listening to the cast recording just live on stage. You know, I could even see uh, the current... Uh, the current leads, like, tears splashing on the stage. It was, it was insane. Hmm. And for our listeners who don't really know the show that well, um, can you describe what's happening in the song a little bit? Yeah, so um, this this gets interpreted uh, in different ways. If you've never seen the show before, it just sounds like someone singing about their best friend. Um, but this song, For Forever, uh, basically in the show, so spoiler alert, <laughs> if you want to go see Dear Evan Hansen, maybe skip, skip ahead a little bit in the podcast, <laughs> but... Uh, Evan is basically a kid who's riddled with anxiety and other uh, mental health issues and 
his therapist gives him an assignment to write letters to himself. Um, so he starts his letters off with Dear Evan Hansen, then writes a letter to himself, signs it, um, and it's kind of you know a constructive pro- uh, project to kind of help with some of his mental health issues. And he uh, writes this one letter in the computer lab, uh, Dear Evan Hansen, uh, and he talks all about this girl he likes named Zoe. And then he prints it off, but the kid who picks it up is Connor Murphy, who's Zoe's sister, or sorry, Zoe's brother. Hmm. And uh, he thinks that uh, Evan wrote it in an attempt to make fun of him or make him feel bad because he was a real outcast. Um, And he took the letter from Evan, crumpled it up, put it in his pocket and left. And um, unfortunately in the story, he, they find out that he uh, commits suicide. Um, So Connor dies after that point in the story and the parents find that letter uh, in Connor's pocket that says, Dear Evan Hansen. And they think it's a suicide note written by Connor to Evan. Mm. Um, and uh, Evan, you know, who's riddled with anxiety and, and confusion, uh, goes along with it because he doesn't know what, to, what else to do. He feels very uncomfortable. He kind of goes into uh, survival mode and, and chooses what many would agree is a very bad decision. Um, and they ask, you know, some things about him, you know, they want to know about their relationship together as friends because they never saw them together. So he kind of makes up this song on the spot for forever, all about their friendship, completely made up. Um, but a great song at one point, Michael Stern and I considered, uh, singing this at the end of our, uh, combined recital that we had, but, uh, our program was already like an hour and 20 minutes long. So we decided it wouldn't be prudent to have a, you know, uh, another performance on it but Damn. you know if you don't know the show it's just a beautiful song about two friends but you know mm. it's it's definitely deeper than that yeah uh the title of the song for forever sort of uh takes on the initiative of saying that you're always going to be there for someone until they're not which is sort of a really existential sort of feeling um do you have anything you want to say about the song before i play it um, I know we talked a lot about it, but do you have anything else you want to say? Yeah, um, I mean, I remember uh, getting the songbook for Dear Evan Hansen, uh, like the piano vocal score, right. um, and, and uh, me and Michael Stern would sing through it all the time. Uh, that was one of our favorite things to do. We would grab scores of music. I would be like, hey, man, I just heard this song. I think it's awesome. Look it up. We're playing it in 20 minutes, and we would meet in a practice room and, and do it, and that was one of our favorite things to do. Um, and we sang through all the songs in Dear Evan Hansen, especially the ones that were like out of my range and were supposed to be for women. And I was just like, you know, <laughs> scratching my voice the whole time. Um, but this one I think stood out the most. It was just, I think one of my favorite, favorite pieces written by, uh, Pasek and Paul in this show. I think that, um, it was one of the most well-crafted pieces. So, um, yeah, enjoy this one. Okay. This is for forever. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen, uh, Ben Platt. with 
hot and shoot the breeze like buddies do. Quoting songs by our favorite bands, telling jokes no one understands except us two. And we talk and take in the view. I think that the poetry in the song is really incredible. I think that the words that they use to describe um, Evan's fake relationship with Connor is sort of memorable in a way. You think about it, um, this is something he's wanted for a long time, someone to talk to, and I think he uses the, the, the co using Connor as a, as, a, as a way to help him cope with some of his fears, and I think that even though he does a bad thing, he's able to work out issues through talking to himself about Connor. Right. You yeah, know? as bad as as bad as it is, and, and you know, this this musical gets a lot of bad press for, you know, glorifying, you know, someone doing a really bad thing, but I think it just tells a story from the perspective of that person who did a very bad thing. I don't mm -hmm. think the the intent is is it at all to say that Evan Hansen was ever in the right. Um I do find it very interesting how uh, he overcame a lot of his own personal uh, baggage by uh, kind of throwing himself into another really serious situation other than, you know, what he was normally dealing with. Um, but, you know, he's singing about Connor Murphy to the Murphys, but he's really singing to himself, mm. to himself, you know, mm. which is what you kind of said. It's it's very powerful in, in his ability to sort of relate those two things together. And uh, one thing I do love about this musical is that happens in a lot of the songs. Another one um, that I'm just going to bring up real quick is uh, If I Could Tell Her, which is a song that Evan is singing to Zoe, Connor's sister, about the relationship between Connor and Zoe, but it's really about Evan and Zoe. You know, he's singing about his own personal experiences, but the way he sings it, it, it can work either way. So it's, it's kind of funny how they, they kind of sew that in throughout the whole show, like double meanings of, of songs, which I love. Yeah. I think we talked about this on my first podcast with my sister. Uh, we talked about reprises. We talked about how uh, when music comes back again, oh, in in in, in musicals, that uh, it can always take on a different meaning. Mm -hmm. um, I think something that the show does really well is taking something that we initially think is true, and then when we they present it again, it's in a different light. I think that's sort of kind of powerful in a way. Um, so not not to spend too much on Dear Evan Hansen, uh, we're going to move right along to Here For You by Jonathan Reed Geit. And uh, did I say that right? Jonathan Reed Gelt, is that right? Truly, Sean, I love the song. Don't know the artist. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, featuring Jeremy Jordan, who is an alumni of Ithaca College. Absolutely. Um, yeah, didn't didn't graduate. started uh, Newsies, which is one of my favorite Broadway shows as well. Didn't graduate, but went to Ithaca College. Um, so the reason why I started this podcast was to get exposed to more music. I think this song is beautiful. So soulful, so energizing. Uh, where did you first hear this song? So, um, and we're going to talk about this group again soon, I'm sure. But um, I started uh, at the beginning of last school year working with... Uh, Mahanas and my, my former high school's um, indoor guard. Um, 
and they they are the ones who did the next song that we're going to talk about this year for their for their uh, guard show and a lot of people don't know um what indoor guard is so quickly i'm just going to explain that um if you're watching a marching band and you're seeing the folks out there with the rifles and the flags and the sabers that's guard um indoor guard happens in a gym where you roll out a floor mat onto the gym floor and um music is playing in the background and, and it's a combination of spinning the equipment um dance and uh, gosh, it's just a bunch of different art forms all mixed together, you know. There's there's also a lot of acting going on in there, and you know, it's like marching band in that you got a theme for your show. You know, let's say your theme is the circus, you're trying to portray the circus, so you're gonna have props um, that look like a circus. You're gonna have uh, your members of your group probably smiling and having a good time, like people do at the circus, and, and you're gonna put on a show that involves um, spinning equipment, which is kind of the content within guard um while also telling a story which is the circus you know so uh the group uh uh, stretches before every practice for about like i don't know 30 45 minutes it's it's a long process because you know as as anyone who's been involved in, in an activity that involves dance knows you know it's really easy to um injure yourself if you're not properly stretched stretched out so for a while we had uh three songs that we were doing specifically for our stretches. Um, and uh, after a while, you know, the kids just got tired of them, you know, and I, and I did too. It was like, we were listening to the same things all the time. So I started to get um, a little inventive and I would look into um, the, uh, my spotlight uh, playlist on Spotify hmm. uh, for the day. And, and there was a musical theater one always because I'm into that. And hmm. I just found this song on it casually. It was there. I clicked on it. I didn't even know what it was going to sound like. I just played it for a stretch. You know, they just need a beat. So I started it, and as it was going, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, the best song I've ever heard. So uh, I ended up using it uh, for them all the time for their stretch song. Um, and uh, it's a song I listen to, like, most days. You know, I just think it's it's fantastic. And if Michael Stern wasn't such a bass, we probably would have tried to sing it together. But he could never, you know? His voice would crack. It would be embarrassing. <laughs> And uh, here is uh, Here For You, uh, featuring Jeremy Jordan, written by Jonathan Raid Gelt. I think that the lyrics for this uh, song is great. I would say um, what sort of rings out to me in the beginning, uh, let me read it out. Nothing can change what happened to you. The tears and the pain that you struggle through, but hard as you try to keep it inside, you just make it worse by trying to hide. How is the text emphasized between the music, do you think? You know, um, I think it's like such a powerful uh, use of text. Um, and I think it gets 
it gets much better towards the end. And in a minute, I'm going to make you play the ending with the very tight harmonies up top because sure. I think that's essential to hear. Um, this this piece stuck out to me as like, a, you know, a friend singing to a friend. And unlike hmm. uh, Evan Hansen, you know, it's not actually about somebody else. It's it's for real this time, you know. So uh, uh, what I what I actually attributed it to, um, a situation I applied it to, um, is this school year. So um, I'm creating, I always create, for my marching band at Chalmont High School, I always create a video. I say always. This is the second time because it's my second <laughs> year. Um, right. I create a video of like kind of our memories from the year. You know, kids send me pictures, and um, I'm working on a project where I got all the seniors to send me some baby pictures and then mm. current pictures, and I chose this song to play during that section because, you know, for me, it, it's saying, you know, whatever's going on, you know, we're going to be there for each other. And I think a lot of them need to hear that right now. Um, you know, I'm talking about those seniors in college and high school who are kind of missing their lasts, kind of not getting those things that define them. Um, and I know a lot of kids are struggling with that right now. Right. Even if it's just missing out on the social piece of school, it's, I feel like this song um, allows people to lean on each other, you know. So I think that's why it stuck out to me so strongly recently. Okay. And like you said, here's a little bit of the end of the song. definitely think you should back up a little bit more. <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> okay, okay. So the next That's song. I was looking for. <laughs> I know we were sort of surfing through the song, um, but yeah, go ahead. I know. I know. Um, uh, you know what? Well, I'm gonna recommend all these listeners out here just pick up that song and listen to it from start to finish because hmm. um, it's a good one, and uh, maybe you'll find my favorite part on your own as a little hmm. prize. <laughs> and uh, the fourth song that you gave us today. 
is Autumn Leaves, uh, a, a rendition by Eva Cassidy. Uh, this song is widely recorded among jazz artists. Uh, what makes this version different? Um, man, this 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 uh, arrangement is, is incredible. Um, Eva Cassidy is uh, is a singer songwriter who um, was sort of on the rise for a while. She unfortunately died very young um, to cancer. Um, and this was this performance we're about to listen to is a live version, which is is crazy to me. Um, her use of rubato is absolutely insane, you know, while also sticking to the to the to the rhythm and the beat of this tune. It's amazing. Um, this song for me, you know, the winter guard that I worked with at um, Mahanasan was was using this song this year um, as their indoor guard show. And um, they were getting some serious national uh, attention. We were looking to um, make finals at WGI uh, uh, 8-class finals in Dayton, Ohio for the first time this year. Mm. And we weren't just looking to stop at uh, making the finals. We were we were really pushing for a top-five spot, which would have been monumental for the program. Unfortunately, like many other activities, it was um, canceled this mm, year. Yeah. Um, so those kids, like... Uh, those kids were were suffering there and this song you know it's all about you know a time of year a, a season and, and it's all about you know kind of missing somebody um and i think it it's just very perfect for the year that happened you know when, mm-hmm. when i listen back to this song and all arrangements of this song I, I will definitely always think of this group and this experience that we had together but specifically her recording which I think like just pulls at your heartstrings a little bit more than, you know, your typical big band or, or whatnot. So, okay. yeah. Cool. And here is Autumn Leaves by Eva Cassidy. So this is much slower than other versions. Much oh, yeah. other versions are much much faster. Yeah. Uh, it also has sort of a folksy sort of feeling to it. Um, yeah, with that guitar in the background. Yeah. Uh, so, um, do you like it at the slower tempo? I do. You know, I. And another fun thing I did, and we were talking about finding songs for stretches and warm-ups and stuff. I mm-hmm. would always look up like Autumn Leaves arrangements and played them. We did a lot of improvisation too with that group. And 
and, and when we're talking about like dance improvisation, obviously no one's playing instruments. Um, they're right. basically moving to the music that they hear. Um, and the first time I played a faster arrangement of a jazz ensemble playing Autumn Leaves, they didn't even recognize the tune. They didn't even realize what it was. I was like, guys, we're playing Autumn Leaves. We're playing the song that you use every night. And they were like, oh my gosh, because they just got so used to that slow version. And mm-hmm. you know, for a bunch of high school kids that don't necessarily listen to jazz, like it's, it's not going to stand out to them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really do like the fast versions of this piece. There's there's one version um, I enjoy by Winston Marsalis that I, I've had since I was a little kid that I that I loved. Um, mm. But, um, you know, they I played this tune in high school jazz band. You know, it's something that I've always known, but once I heard this version, it kind of stood out to me a little bit more. Um, I don't know if I'd enjoy somebody else doing it at this tempo. I think, you know, I think it's really her thing. She really owned it. So mm. um, all versions are definitely valid to me, but, but uh, this one definitely stands out the most. How would you uh, determine the genre of the music? Is it still jazz? The genre of music. I don't know. Is John White listening to this? Because he is. <laughs> how, how would you think, what would you sort of identify this song as? Man, you know, it's it's still jazz, I think. Okay. I think okay. it's still jazz, but it, it's it's more, it's, it's like a ballad. Okay. It's like folk. Mm. It's like jazz, kind of all combined into one, mm. you know. Um it's hard to put a label on it, you know, because it's so different than most of the things that you normally hear. I think yeah. it just kind of blurs the lines of a few different things. Mm. And the last song that you gave us is Theme from uh, Rudy, written by Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith's film music is amazing. Uh, this was written in 1993. It talks about a uh, underachiever. Um, does this movie have any significance on you? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, it was. It's one of like my family's favorite movies to watch. So, growing up, it was always on in the house. If it showed up on TV, it was it was going to be on TV. We were going to watch it. So, right. um, you know, the reason it stood out to me, and, and I, I labeled it as one of my favorite pieces, is I just watched it again the other day, hmm. um, and it's one of those soundtracks that like it always catches my ear. And there are times in like in all parts of my life where I've been just like hanging out and you know, you're, you're sitting around and you get a little song in your head and you're trying to figure out what is that? And that was always in my head. So Mm. I said, you know, it must be pretty good if it's always sticking to me. And, uh, I actually used to use this soundtrack in college when I would do homework to study. Mm. I just felt like it was like very good music in the background. Um, not that I did a whole lot of studying, but you know, the one or two (laughs) times that I did, this would be positive soundtrack to use in the background and this recording is by the london symphony orchestra um and here is theme from rudy
I always find the have to end on a tonic chord where people will go, ah, come on. Uh, I also think uh, that 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 just that part doesn't do the song justice. Oh yeah, there's there's, there's so much. I mean, yeah. but I mean, one of the best parts of this whole piece was the one we just heard. That flute solo is fantastic, you know, and um, like I just think about how great flute playing can be if it's done well. I think the same thing about oboe playing, and many of you know that I love playing the oboe. Oh, I we all know that, yeah. As a hobby, you know. <laughs> um, mm. So, like, you know, if, if someone was listening to me and they wanted to hear me play some legit oboe, man, they would definitely be in for a, a sore surprise because it's not what they're going to get. Mm. And that's the same thing with a lot of flute players. I think, you know, if you're a bad flute player, or I should say a good flute player, but not a great <laughs> flute player, um, it stands out. You right. know, I think about, like, one of the best flute sounds I've heard, you know, shout out to Jeanette Lewis, mm. who, yeah. who is just fantastic. You know, when you listen to Jeanette play, you, you uh, certainly don't want to leave. You don't want to miss it, you know? Um, and that's the kind of sound that's coming out of this performer um, from the London Symphony, obviously, which is where Jeanette Lewis belongs, by the way. <laughs> her in the London Symphony. Shout out, Jeanette. Um, yeah. But, but seriously, you know, when you get a performer in a soloistic opportunity like that and they nail it, it's it's just, it's otherworldly, you know? Yeah. How would you characterize the song, in a way? Does the song sort of portray the character of Rudy? Oh, it definitely does. You okay. know, it's, it, okay. it, it goes back and forth between the, the louds and the softs. And it I think it shows, like, you know, there's definitely more there than the, than the kid you see, you know? there's there's uh, more of a fight there I think the brass kind of is fantastic for like a sports movie you know it's mm. it's it, it's just very very ESPN to me in 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 the intensity it's like Monday night football you know mm. it's like it, the song can get to points like that but there are also very small tender moments that um, you know attribute to like Rudy's size and and uh, I guess the large amount of obstacles he has to uh, overcome so i think your playlist had a and uh beginning and end it was perfect you had band on one side orchestral on one side and you covered all of it with vocal music i think your playlist was great thank you for sharing it with our listeners today um we're gonna take a little break stick around and we're gonna test mike on his pop trivia let's see how he does we'll be right back here we go And we're back. Uh, Mike, how is your pop uh, culture trivia for, for, for music? How do you feel you're going to do on this uh, one? You know, I think I'm... I think I'm... Okay. All right. Let's see. Uh, so, I always I make... I'm, I think I'm pretty solid. I, I like to make bets with my guests. Um, if you get five right, the next time I see you, I definitely owe you an appetizer and a beer. You got to hold me to it. So, if you get all five right, I'll give you that. But if you get three right, I'll give you a beer. Yep. So this is how it works. All right. Here is the first question. Who recorded the 2013 hit Some Nights? Oh, that's fun. That's right. Good job. Uh, here's number two. Uh, which Pink Floyd album features a prism on the cover? Oh, uh, The Wall? Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, I Dark knew side. that. Oh, some people are going to be really mad at me. Yeah. I'm sorry. Please don't, please don't hate me. No, it's okay. 
Uh, here's number three. Whose hit song is The Lazy Song? Bruno Mars. That's right. Cool. Okay, two more. Uh, which Beatle made Elton John the godfather of his son? Oh, man. That is not pop culture knowledge. That is- <laughs> <laughs> Read it for me one more time. Sure, sure, sure. Which Beatle made Elton John the godfather of his son? Oh, man. Uh, Ringo Starr. John uh, Lennon. John Lennon, man. John Lennon. All right, last chance to win a beer. Here we go. Who released the huge hit album, Tapestry? Is that Carol King? That is Carol King. All right, it's awesome. Great job, man. And the next time I see you, I do owe you a beer. Um, anything you want to share with our listeners before you go? Um, I guess all I'll say is, you know, it's it's been uh, really fun to be on the show with Sean. You know, if you're thinking about doing it, I highly recommend it. It's, it's a it's a great uh, process. And shout out to Sean on you know being a great friend and you know having a lot of awesome memories together. You know, I wish you the best, my friend, and. Uh, I hope we keep this friendship rolling for many years to come. Yeah, me too. Me too, man. Thanks again for doing the show, and I'll see you next time. Thanks, Mike. Sounds good. Thank you, Mike. And you've been listening to Music Speaks, a podcast for lovers of music everywhere. Also this week, I'll have a chance to interview Matt Flores, a recent graduate of Ithaca College and recent band member of Ilioid. And that's it for me. I'm Sean Rakunis, and keep listening to what you love.